Fentanyl. Fentanyl is a potent synthetic opioid pain medication with a rapid onset and short duration of action. Fentanyl is 50 to 100 times more potent than morphine, but some forms of fentanyl mimic the pharmacological effects of the original drug, causing some to argue that it may be as much as 500 to 10,000 times more powerful. Counterintuitively, fentanyl is not a long-lasting drug. It is often used for surgery recovery and for breakthrough pain, meaning that when a person is already taking an opiate but has temporary pain that breaks through the opiate barrier, they may be given fentanyl. There are time-release versions of fentanyl which provide strong pain relief over time. They come in two forms, a lollipop and a patch. Fentanyl is highly addictive. Abusing it is extremely dangerous as the difference between a therapeutic dose and a deadly overdose is very small. As with any opiate, the main symptoms of fentanyl abuse are euphoria, drowsiness, lethargy, and mellowness. Fentanyl very quickly creates a tolerance to high doses, so a dose that is adequate for the intended high one week will probably not create that same intended high even a few days later. I'm telling you all of this because pain management and drug abuse play a large role in today's episode. Three attorneys, two husbands, two successful women, one veteran, one taser, three hours, one night, two patches, one drug. I'm Natalie Levy. And I'm Michael Costa. And this is Detective Society. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fucking lollipops? Oh my god. Are we marketing it to kids? It's probably not great. Okay. Housekeeping? Okay. Uh, well, uh, first we have a spot for our sponsor. Mm. I almost forgot. The articles. Ever wondered what the next up-and-coming writer, designer, or band was? Well, you can be in the know with the articles of antiquity. On a monthly basis, interviews from the most talented artists around the world are featured on this digital magazine. See you on the site, and thank you for visiting thearticlesofantiquity.com. So. All right. If you've never listened to Detective Society before, you're listening to what we originally intended to be a murder-free mini-sode. Because you kind of fell down the rabbit hole on this one. The more and more that I researched about it, the more and more that I was... Really, really interested in the, I guess, main characters of this murder. Well, it's not a murder, I guess. There, There is a crime of violence, mm-hmm. a possible attempted murder, and two survivors. Um, so that doesn't mean that there's no murder per se. There's definitely crime and there are definitely survivors, which is great. But it is still a pretty dark episode. Our, our many episodes in the past have been examples of victims getting justice, I think, if I recall. There's the back page killer where the, mm-hmm. the prostitute shoots him. It was, uh, oh my God, I'm forgetting his name. Neil Falls. Neil Falls. 
That was that was the guy that you're just talking about. Yeah, no, Leo Falls is the back cage killer. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of the other mini one we did, the the Baltimore guy. My, uh, Don T. Stokes. Don T. Stokes. That was also a mini oh episode. Oh my god, wasn't that's it? honestly, if you are not a big listener to Detective Society and are just giving it a try, I would say go back and listen to the Don T. Stokes episode. Yes. It's, it's a mini sode. It's really quick. It'll give you a very nice taste of what this show is like, and it is also one of probably my favorite stories of all time. Yeah, it's really good. But traditionally, that's what our mini sods have looked like. Yes. Victims getting justice to an extent. Yes. That doesn't really happen here. I, it, it, it kind of happens. Does it? Like, I don't... Yeah. That's the impression you were giving me before. Well, I, it's just a very different kind of story than we, than we normally tell, I think. It's still violent, terrible, um, and very, very dark. But it's... It's just, there's a different outcome. Gotcha. Um, also, so this episode is dedicated to Avril Macias, uh, who we forgot to give a shout out to in our past episodes because we are the worst, but Avril is the best. Um, She's she is, one of our fans, and that's she, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, she's one of our most uh, vocal and... Um, interactive fans. She's one of our very generous Patreon donors and a self-professed quote unquote attorney in the making. And just so you know, guys, if you're into both attorneys and murder, you're listening to the right episode. So this one's got both. It, it certainly does. But first, obviously, housekeeping. So if you like the show, please, please, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show and it makes us feel warm and fuzzy inside. Yes. Also, as always, if you want more Detective Society, please donate to our Patreon page. We put a lot of work into every episode, and your support means a lot to us. For example, we have already recorded this episode once, and uh, I went to go save and edit our (laughs) recording and found that this file was corrupted. So in addition to the hours and hours of research that go into every episode, this one has is now being recorded for the second time. Yes, but to keep the magic happening, I have tried to forget as much as I can in the past 24 hours. <laughs> that is very, very true. Um, but if, if you're interested, you can definitely support us by going to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash detectives. Detective Society. One more time, the correct way, patreon.com slash Detective Society. Everyone, anytime we get a subscription on there, it's like a miracle. I am shocked that people, one, are listening, and two, like, want to kick back to us. Like, like that is shocking. We're both firmly unlovable people, so it's a miracle that we found each other. You're right. But also a miracle that anyone wants to give us any money. You didn't corrupt the file. The computer did. I... <laughs> I don't want to talk about the feelings of spiraling hatred, anxiety, disappointment that I had towards an inanimate object. Well, we'll keep pumping you full of martinis tonight. Why, thank you, my darling. Actually, here, cheers. Cheers. I hope anyone actually heard that. And as as always, we have our trusty sidekicks, Billy and Rusty here. They are our two adorable dogs. Where is Rusty? And they're, I bet you he's rolling around in our bed right now. Motherfucker. Hold on. Time out, guys. 
Well, while Mike goes to make sure that our gross dog who went to the dog park today and ran through a puddle is not all over our bed. Oh, good boy. He wasn't. Uh, I'll go ahead and just finish telling you if you'd like to contact us, you can follow us on Twitter at the detective pod or email us at detective society pod at gmail.com. Or as always join the detective society group on Facebook. Um, you can just join that by searching detective society podcast on Facebook. We've been mostly interacting with people on Twitter recently, but I've been thinking about starting a subreddit. So if that's something that you're interested in or that you might be, you might find yourself being active on, uh, please let us know and we will definitely start one up. Um, anything else? Anything else? Mike is still over there talking to Rusty. Did you manage to coax him out of your? Yeah, I don't know what that was. I wonder. If, I don't know. Possibly, he's afraid he was getting a bath. Well, yeah, we. So, in case you're wondering, listeners, uh, we take the collars off of our dogs when we record nowadays because if you listen to our early episodes, their collars jingle jangle throughout the entire thing. And now we believe that Rusty thinks he is getting a bath every time that the collar comes off, which is probably pretty anxiety inducing for him, but still adorable. All right, let's get back to things. I'm sorry I abandoned you there for a second. That's okay, I guess. Um, do you have anything else for housekeeping that I might not have uh, have mentioned? No. Great. <laughs> let's start the show. Oh, man, these two. Okay, these are my favorites. Sue Duncan and Leo Fisher are both 61 years old. Well, they not they aren't right now, but they were at the time. And had been married for uh, over 25 years. He called her Muffin, and she called him Pie. Leo was and continues to be an attorney with the firm of Bean, Kinney, and Corman in Arlington, Virginia. Amazing name for a law firm. An incredible name. I, I mean... It I, might as... Were they lawyers in Allie McBeal? I don't know. Because it Possibly. might as well be the law firm from Allie McBeal. Corman with a K? Yes. So BKK. Yes. I will refer to them as that from now on. As BKK? As that BKK. sounds a little bit like BTK, but you know what? You live your truth. What's BTK? Michael, you host, you co-host a murder podcast. It is, I'm a murder novice. There is, it is a, it is the BTK serial killer. Oh, the BTK guy. Find him, torture him, kill him. Oh, God, that's Yeah, sad. it's pretty, uh, that's upsetting. pretty upsetting. But their last name, they're not like a name of the part. You said he works there or? He's a, he's like a senior attorney. Okay. So according to the BKK Bean Kinney Corman website, Leo has been married for 38 years. He and his wife, Sue, share their home with two cats, Twist and Shout. When he isn't managing the (laughs) day-to-day operations of the firm, he enjoys playing tennis, traveling, reading, and theater, which, as Michael just noted, is pretty much the cutest effing thing I've ever heard. Like local theater? You know, DC does have a big local theater scene. Oh, man. These couples, like, this relationship goals. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Leo is a... the cats with dogs. ...is a senior attorney. Sue was a... Pretty successful in the financial industry in her own right. They've got two adorable cats named Twist and Shout. 
And uh, they're basically, Billy, Billy. I'm sorry, guys. She was just nose deep in Rusty's butt. <laughs> it was not ladylike. Um, so just just as an example of uh, how well-liked and um, just how much of a great boss Leo was, uh, one former partner named Heidi Meisner remembered that shortly after she was hired, Leo confessed that during her salary negotiation, the firm had lowballed her. She was quoted as saying, he bumped my salary and made it retroactive. Like back pay? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think that's pretty rad. He worked for 25 years to help build Bean, Kinney, and Corman's reputation and served as a mentor to younger attorneys. Just overall seems like kind of a nice guy, kind of a, a great attorney and someone who it would be nice to learn under. In 2013, Leo hired a young intellectual property attorney named Alicia Schmuel. I'm going to go ahead and just note here that the way that this last name is spelt is S-C-H-M-U-L. In some places, I saw it spelt S-C-H-M-U-H-L, but either way... I have no real understanding of uh. how it is pronounced. It has a lot of consonants, and I'm going to go ahead and pronounce it Shmuel. Maybe it's Shmuel. I'm not 100% sure. I like Shmuel. Me too. Uh, so let's talk about Alicia and her husband, Andrew Shmuel. They had met at Valparaiso Law School in Indiana and both graduated in 2009, then moved to the Washington, D.C. area. So Alicia, very recent. Yeah. Yeah, this... this happened really recently. Alicia was described as fun and feisty and actually ran an anonymous blog called Silly Little Law Student. She sometimes used it to vent about the pressures of both school and social life, once posting a picture of a girl she didn't like and writing the succubus over it. Now, you can't find these blog posts anymore. I actually went looking for it, and it's been archived. I tried using the Wayback Machine, but I guess they hadn't gotten to it in time. But you can find traces of it still online, including a photo bucket account linked to that blog by the same name, um, where you can find this succubus picture. God bless Photo Bucket. It is a very weird account. I will be honest with you guys. I, I kind of wish that I could go back and read those posts, but um, there's just kind of like a final placeholder post on the profile that says, decided to retire this blog, made all of the content private. You can email me if you would like access to it. So when they graduated, Alicia found a job as an immigration attorney with a small Fairfax firm, and Andrew became an army lawyer. He was uh, actually already an active duty officer, and one of his new responsibilities was to help soldiers process their medical claims. His parents were later interviewed by a local magazine and remembered that he'd let service members' kids take candy from a bowl on his desk, claiming that their son seemed really happy doing that work. And that's the end. Everything was fine and Everyone's nice. Everyone's happy to Both have these marriages couples or couples. Yeah. were fine and nothing bad happened to anyone. Great. This was an excellent mini-sode. Yeah. It's Detective Society, guys. All right. Goodbye, guys. <laughs> Wait, it's not over yet, is it? Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, Andrew's army career was cut short. 
One day during physical training, he slipped on a patch of ice and injured his spine. That Back injuries are never good from what I understand. Yeah, I mean. So that's pretty unfortunate. In 2012, he took a medical discharge. And by the summer of 2014, Andrew was confined most days to the couple's home in Springfield, Virginia. At this point, he was mostly supported by Alicia, who had been hired by Leo Fisher at Bean Kinney. BKK. So every, everyone has kind of come together at this point. Alicia is working at BKK with Leo. Leo is married to Sue. Alicia is married to Andrew. Who, because of an incident on a patch of ice, his whole is, life's kind of been turned upside down. Yeah, it sounds basically like. confined. Uh, unfortunately, Alicia began missing meetings and deadlines, and Leo's partners complained about her performance. Which, hell yeah, they did. She, she wasn't doing a good job at her job. Then, in June 2014, Leo learned that Alicia had listed her husband as an employee of the firm on a mortgage application and had gone as far as impersonating its human resources director in a phone call with the bank. Ooh, that's not a good look. Leo told Alicia her behavior might constitute fraud. And fraud is never a good look. Yeah, I think might constitute fraud is being a little light-handed with her. Like, yeah, that's that's fraud. She pretended to work in HR for the firm. It's straight up fraud. Yeah. <laughs> so that day, he sent her home without deciding whether she'd be fired. But the next morning, when Leo arrived at work, Andrew Schmuel, her husband, was there waiting, uninvited. Well, that's also a pretty bad look. That's another, that's, none of this is good. Not, none of this looks great. Surprised. Well, naturally. Leo pulled the schmoles into his office. Andrew started to get angry, raising his voice, becoming visibly angry as he insisted that the couple wasn't trying to commit mortgage fraud. Not sure how. Uh, Leo said he needed to talk to Alicia, but Andrew wouldn't leave or let him get a word in. Finally, Alicia turned to her husband and said, Andrew, leave now because I want to save my job. Andrew got up and walked out. Probably doesn't bode well for this marriage. Or for the rest of this episode. I mean, it's never good. It's it's never it's never good. It's, I wouldn't call it good. I mean, it's not ruined most of the time, though. But it's it's not good. It's not good. So let's let's see where we're going. So even then, with Leo as an advocate, Bean Kinney didn't fire Alicia. I am guessing that he wanted to give her time to kind yeah, of like like get her life together. Leo's clearly, going above and beyond for this girl. Clearly, she's going through a hard time. Unfortunately, her performance did not improve, and eventually the decision was made to let her go. Ah, oh, shit. On October 27th, 2014, Leo handed her a letter offering her severance pay. He said he knew Alicia would turn out to be a great lawyer, but unfortunately, it would be somewhere else. I actually, so I was reading through kind of a text exchange that is on record from uh, the court proceedings where immediately after she is fired, yeah. she obviously texts her husband and he tells her to stop everything she's doing and file a lawsuit. 
I mean, these people are attorneys, so I'm assuming that's their They're first litigious. move. But it, just the the tone that's used in a lot of these exchanges is is really strange. Um, so that's October 27, 2014. Our dog's being really cute right now. Um, November 9th, 2014. At 6.15 p.m., Sue Duncan was roasting a chicken for dinner. She and Leo were spending a quiet night at home when their doorbell rang. Leo gets up to open the door, and before Sue knew what was going on, a man in a long black jacket shoved the door all the way open and fired a taser at Leo's chest. Two of the taser darts stuck in his sweater. Well, things have jumped up. Things have taken quite the turn. Leo fell to the floor, and the man bound his hands and feet with zip ties. As Sue ran, screaming across the room, the man announces, I'm with the Virginia SEC, and I'm arresting your husband. He, um, well, okay, a few things. Yes. As far as I'm aware, normally the cops or the law enforcement will announce that they're entering your home. And not just shove a taser through the door? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's general protocol. <sighs> yeah, yeah. It seems odd. But it seems very odd. I'm, I'm willing to hear it out. Well, what followed was three hours of violence and complete confusion. The man who came into their home was wearing an Indiana Jones-style hat pulled down over his face and sported a strange pair of black sneakers with Velcro instead of shoelaces. He flashed a badge, but Sue, as I mentioned earlier, as a successful badass boss in her own right, had recently retired from a financial services career and knew that there was no Virginia SEC. There is only a federal SEC. It's the Security and Exchange it, yeah, Commission, it's, not it's, a Security Exchange It's not exchange a of Virginia. It's the Security and Exchange Commission. So she starts backing up. The man corners her and ties her hands and feet just like Leo's. Then he drags them both into their bedroom. The following is from an exchange uh, that was given in court. According to Leo, he asks, why are you here? The man says, do you know who the Knights Templar are? Leo says, yeah, crusaders from the 12th century. The man says, no, they're a drug cartel. And you sent an email putting a hit on somebody in that cartel for $370,000. Leo is a I thought bit he baffled. was with the SEC. Yeah. That is the story that he claimed as he walked in. Because I was going to ask if Indiana Jones style hats are standard issue for the Virginia SEC. But now he's working with the Templar. The Templar cartel that doesn't exist anywhere in the world? Does it not? No. (sighs) So Leo is baffled. The man said that he had had their house under surveillance and knew they didn't go out much. He started asking for details about Leo's firm, using names Leo recognized. The man insists someone in return has now put a hit out on Leo. And when Leo said he didn't know anyone who would do that, the man asked, didn't you let someone go recently? Oh, fuck me, man. Yeah. 
So about an hour and a half into the whole ordeal, the man took Leo into the home office and forced him to log into the firm's private network. The man could now see its administrative files and client list, which is generally a very closely held secret for attorneys. He starts typing, searching for something. It looks like he's searching for something in specific, but he can't find it and soon becomes really frustrated. Around this time, Leo claims that he is having trouble breathing and felt as if he were having a heart attack. Leo had actually just recently had heart surgery. Sue starts becoming really anxious and asks the man to call an ambulance. The man says no. She says, okay, let me just call his doctor. We'll get the doctor to come over here. We don't need to involve the ambulance. He says no again. But when Sue begins saying that she feels sick and like she's going to throw up, the man cuts off her zip ties and lets her go to the bathroom. So I guess he's cool with letting Leo die, but does not want to deal with puke. Well, it's chain reaction. She pukes, he pukes, everyone's puking, next thing you know. <sighs> Obviously. So at this point, untied, Sue has a little bit more freedom to kind of try and figure out what's going on. She goes back and forth between the bed and the bathroom a couple times, and During one of these bathroom trips, she peers around the corner and sees the man is standing near the front door, flipping the outdoor lights on and off as if he's trying to signal someone. Another time, the front door is wide open and Sue can see him talking to a woman outside. Eventually, the man said he needed to ask Leo some things that a man might not want to reveal in front of his wife. In the next room uh, where he's dragged Leo, the man starts asking about money. Did Leo keep a lot of money in the house? Does he have stacks of $20 bills? Didn't Leo have $20,000 or $100,000 in cash in the house? Leo says no. He, he doesn't keep that kind of money in the house. And in all honesty, probably doesn't just have it offhand. It's reckless and irresponsible. Then he asks, does Leo have any gold? No. Leo offers to go get some cash from an ATM if that's what the man wants. The man looks side to side, says nothing. And then before Leo knows what's happening, the man knocks him onto his back, pulls a pillow over his face and slits Leo's throat. Fuck. While this is going on, Leo calls out to Sue, Muffy, he's murdering me, which is a detail that makes me so sad, I cannot even explain it. We talked about how we recorded this once already. Yeah. Not less heartbreaking, and I'm squirming and sweating just as much hearing that line again. The Because you introduced the pet names at the beginning. Oh, my God. You want to hear something um, really messed up? The response by this man is to say, Muffy, what is this, The Muppet Show? I don't, I don't know, man. All right, let's, let's keep piling through. What is to be done? <sighs> now, Sue is about to become everyone's hero because she is really and truly a badass. This dude has a pistol, a Cobra 380. It's silver with a black stock, four rounds in the clip, one round in the chamber. Sue does not miss a beat before she is running towards him to try to stop him. He turns around and fires. 
At this point, Leo is still alive, basically lying on the floor, bleeding out, but he watches Sue try to come for this guy and says he remembers watching the hair on the side of her head blow off as if it's been like hit with a gust of wind. So the bullet grazes her skull, taking a piece of her scalp with it. But she is not She's still going. Stopped. Oh, fuck. She does not miss a beat. She's climbing across the room, trying to crawl and grab the phone. Now the man has left Leo and is on top of her. He has the same knife he's just slit Leo's throat with and starts stabbing her in the neck. Then he turns her over onto her belly and starts stabbing her in the back and shoulders. Eventually, she stops struggling and just collapses. But as soon as he gets off of her to go back to Leo... She played possum. Boom! Oh, man. Second time, she is up and trying to grab the phone. Finally, the dude stabs her a few more more times, times. I Uh guess. And she decides to play dead. On his way back to Leo, the man grabs the phone that she was trying to crawl towards, tears it out of the wall... And takes it with him. When he's done, he picks up the shell casing from from the shot, from fire the shots, gun, yeah. uh, walks over to Leo, still bleeding on the floor, kicks him in the head and says, you're going to die before walking out. Finally, Sue makes it to the other side of the room, only to find that her captor has taken the phone. But she reaches up and trips the burglar alarm on the wall. A siren starts blaring throughout the entire house. And at this point, I would like to remind everyone that Sue has been shot in the head and then stabbed repeatedly in her neck, back, and shoulders. Well, she, like army crawl, drags herself into the office, another part of the house, where there was another phone dials 911 and in like the most amazing response to a 911 operator she says hello home invasion here is my address sue duncan and leo fisher home invasion please come right away we have two cats please save them oh my god she's not even calling the 911 for her, and her husband at this point no, she's just calling it for the cats she's calling them for the cats on the 911 call, it can be heard Leo telling her, I love you. Oh, this is, it's really, the story of these two is so gut-wrenching. Oh my God, this is like, Michael, I don't know what you and I have, but it is not love the way that Sue and Leo have love. I'm sorry. If I'm on the floor dying because someone has slit my throat, I don't know that I have the strength or stamina to say I love you. Yeah, Unless I have been shot in the head, stabbed repeatedly, and still managed to get to the other side of the house to call the paramedics. That's true. That's very impressive. So, Sue basically collapses in the office. I would imagine. Then it's Leo's turn to kind of pull out all the stops and become a badass. Because with his neck slit from side to side, literally bleeding out. He's still bound also? Yep. He begins stumbling towards the front door. And falls down in the foyer. These two people, I want—I just want to point this out, are in their 60s. 
I keep forgetting that, yeah. They are in their 60s. I am in my 20s, and for God's sake, I need to go for a jog or something because I am not in this kind of physical shape. After lying there for an unknown period of time, he comes back to and thinks that he sees flashing lights uh, through the window. So he reaches up, opens the door, and crawls out onto the deck, sees that there is one or two police cars and starts begging them to go inside and save his wife. One, one, one note is that later when Leo arrives at the hospital, doctors find that he has lost 50% of the blood in his body. These two, I swear to God, because like he's had his neck slit and his first thing is go, my wife's in the other room. Don't worry about me. Go, the wife. Okay, wait. Within minutes, backup arrives. Bloodstains are all over the house. In the bedroom, there's a puddle of so much congealed blood that an EMT would later say it just looked like jelly. Two cops find Sue on the floor in the office. Her back is up against the desk. Her entire body is covered in blood. And on first glance, there's so much blood that they think she is dead. But when they saw that she continued to bleed, they assumed that her heart must still be working and start immediately trying to pack the wound. Unfortunately, yeah, she keeps bleeding through the fabric bandages. And to stop the flow, one of the policemen who found her was trained as an EMT, sticks his finger in her largest wound up to the knuckle. Oh, God. Which is when Sue starts asking him to save her cats because they're indoor cats and they won't survive if they get loose. I just can't with these two. So let's go back to Leo. While Leo is out on the front porch bleeding from his neck, he is still able to tell the police that he recognized who the man was. I think it's pretty clear who the man is. He spells out S-C-H-M-U-L. Andrew Schmuel. My assumption here is that Leo believes that these are his last minutes alive on this earth, and it's going to make them count. Yeah. They both seem to think that. Save the cats. Here's who killed us. Is that uh, is that gonna be like your first novel, your first detective novel, Michael? Save the cats. We know who killed us. Maybe. Michael Costa is a hard living detective on the streets of DC. I think we've talked about it on this podcast before. I can't read. Oh, that's true. Can't read. Can't write. I can dictate it. Can only solve murder. That's true. Oh my god. What if he smells? Cr- Never mind. <laughs> So a message goes out to police to watch out for the Schmoles, uh Honda SUV. Ten minutes later, two canine units spotted the vehicle on the beltway. But when they tried to pull it over, the Honda sped away. Because that's always a good move, people. Well, you're in too deep at that point. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, you're not even going to bother at this point? We're not even going to try. You're leaving the scene of a murder, which I you have to, they have to assume it was a murder at that point. So the police start uh, pursuing them, and one of the canine cops peered in and saw a woman driving. <laughs> that sentence makes it sound like the dog is the one who peered into the car. You don't know that he wasn't. Um, so he sees a woman driving and a man in the passenger seat 
frantically removing his clothes. They seem to be having an argument of some kind. <laughs> Probably. Oh, fuck. It's the cuffs. Why did you do this to me? Um, take my clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Quick. Don't let them catch up to us. Uh, after several miles, the car finally stopped at a strip mall off the highway. Suddenly, and without being prompted to, the man got out of the car completely naked except for an adult diaper. It was Andrew Schmuel. What a twist! <laughs> uh, the cops immediately take Andrew and Alicia into custody where things start to get a little bit crazy. They start to get crazy. Okay, so they, they are pretty crazy at this point. You are arresting a man in no clothes except for an adult diaper and a woman who is not speaking to you. Um, anyway, it's, it's immediately clear to the police that Andrew is messed up. Like, he is toe up from the flow up because he is slurring his speech, he's not making sense, and police basically agree, like, he needs to go to the hospital. We, we, we don't know what's wrong with this guy. Which is probably a good move because according to basically every article I read, Andrew was on a whole lot of drugs. So the most powerful drug in his system was fentanyl, which we spoke about earlier. Andrew's doctors at the Department of Veteran Affairs had raised his fentanyl dose twice over the previous two years. Fuck, man. He wore a patch on his arm that delivered the drug directly through his skin. He also swallowed a second opioid pill in the form of Dilaudin every four to six hours. And on the day of the attack, he was wearing not one, but two patches. And here's the thing. Um, one was on his arm, but one was on his butt under the diaper. The diaper so... No one realized that he still had it on until he gets to the hospital. But we're not done yet, people, because I'm about to destroy the names of a bunch of drugs. Sorry, not a doctor, but I'm going to power through this. He wore a clonidin patch, which is a blood pressure medication. Uh, he was on Toradol, a daily injection to reduce pain and inflammation. Alicia actually had to stick him with a syringe because Andrew hated needles and couldn't do it himself, but had no problem stabbing a 61-year-old woman. Uh, he took gabapentin, an anti-seizure drug, which also is effective with dealing with some kinds of pain uh, three times a day. He also took lisinopril for high blood pressure, Cymbalta, which is an antidepressant. He took Sumatriptan for migraine headaches, Tizanidine, which is a muscle relaxer, Sucral, Sucralophate for gastrointestinal issues. I don't think you got that one right. I don't think I got any of these right. He also used over-the-counter remedies such as Pepto-Bismol, Exlax, NyQuil, Benadryl, and medicated patches that Alicia play, placed directly on his back whenever it hurt, which I'm assuming was kind of like a, like a Bengay patch. Like a nice head or something. Those are a lot of drugs. All from a slip and fall? That's a great question. So EMTs speed Andrew over to Inova Fairfax Hospital in Arlington, 
where he is given an injection of Narcan, which is a drug used to reverse the effects of opioids. Within a couple minutes, they already see his condition improve. At the same exact time, at the same exact hospital, doctors rush over to save Leo Fisher and Sue Duncan. They were forced to cut Leo's clothes off of him because they were so soaked in blood and to staple Sue's scalp back together. After everyone was stable, it was left to the police and prosecutors to piece together what happened because the one person who could inform them probably best out of anyone who was sober, lucid, and didn't have any kind of memory loss from being viciously attacked was Alicia Schmuel, who spoke to no one. Okay. The strategy, I guess. So prosecutors move in on Andrew. They portray him as a murderer at heart a liar, a con man, and telling the jury that it's about revenge, it's about greed, it's about anger, and it's about torture. Andrew's court-appointed lawyers argued that he was a man with a good heart, poisoned by by the very medicine that was supposed to help him, a suffering veteran who had been failed by his VA doctors and betrayed by a domineering, calculating wife. Oh, fuck. Andrew's attorney said, quote, something was horribly wrong with Andrew Schmuel's mental state that night. The cause of the problem was his medication. So the defense focuses on drugs, but also shifts the blame on Alicia, calling her an aggressive person who sought out confrontation, a highly intelligent schemer who who manipulated her ill husband into getting what she wanted. Andrew's mother, Mary Schmoll, testified that in the past she had seen Alicia hit her son and kick him. She said on the stand, quote, she would haul off and just hit him in the arm as hard as she could. Again, Alicia pleaded the fish there. Not the fish. Uh, Your Honor, I plead the fish. <laughs> what does that entail when you plead the fish? I don't know. I don't. Uh... You just go off for really, really long it's like what Ted Kennedy solos. said, like, the fish did it. I didn't kill that woman. I plead the fish, Your Honor. Um, so she pleads the fifth during the trial. Alicia, the uh, lawyers pointed out, was the one who bought both the taser that Andrew used and the adult diapers that he would be found wearing. She was, was the one. Was that the, the same trip to the grocery store? It might have been. I'll, I'll be honest with you. That Walmart in Virginia must have been real stocked. So uh, she was the one who knew about Bean Kinney's computer network that Andrew had basically tried to force Leo into logging into. Many of the questions that he asked Leo and Sue were full of details about life at the firm that Andrew would have never been able to know. And all the while, Alicia was waiting outside in the getaway car, which she drove. The home invasion, the defense concluded, was clearly Alicia's operation. Andrew was just the foot soldier too whacked out on his own pain medication to execute the plan correctly. Then, in addition to basically them painting Alicia as like this monster, there's kind of the laundry list of crazy things that Andrew did actually do that leads us to think that he clearly wasn't in his right mind. I mean, I have so many questions about the actual things Andrew did and said that night. Well... Can I read you some of, like, the the, the highlights? The details you haven't caught yet? Yeah. Okay, yes, please do. Okay. 
So if the plan was to murder Leo and Sue, why would Andrew pretend to be a Virginia SEC agent? If the plan was to steal information for a possible employment discrimination lawsuit, why didn't he download a single email or document from Leo's computer? If Andrew was trying to burn down the house, which is a possible kind of theory because there was just a giant patch of gasoline found in the middle of the house, then why didn't he just light the gasoline on fire? When he left, yeah. Why was he wearing an adult diaper if he was constipated more than he was incontinent? The prosecutors argued that he wore it so he wouldn't have to go to the bathroom or take any kind of breaks while torturing his victims. If the attack was about revenge, why didn't he just tell the couple who he was and take pleasure in their recognition? Why wear a weird disguise? So the hat that we talked about, that Indiana Jones fedora, it wasn't just Indiana Jones style. It came from an Indiana Jones collector's kit. Indy would not approve. No, definitely not. And then the cherry on top of the cake, the badge that he flashed at Sue, not only was it not real, it was not even convincing. So yeah, he flat. He's I'm Virginia SEC. He flashes a badge at her. It was the kind that women buy for bachelorette parties with a picture of a penis on it and the words "Pecker Inspector, Department of Erections." <laughs> I just, I, I just. God, this is a movie script. There's a legitimate, there's a... Like a really dark comedy. A penis on the badge that says Department of Erections. I, I want to know, does he flash it long enough for Sue to notice what it is? So what other details did we miss earlier? Because I got questions <sighs> that you don't have answers to, but I just got to talk them out. Well, lay them on me. Okay, first of all. The Velcro shoes you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Those are because of his injury, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because it's really hard to tie shoes if you can't Mm -hmm. move very well. Yep. Okay. He starts off as the Virginia SEC officer. Yes. Then he quickly transitions to a hitman because Leo took out a hit on a member of a gang that doesn't exist that he named after a 12th century order of knights. Yes. Then he reverses that story a bit and says, well, actually what happened, someone at your firm called the hit in on you. Yep. Then he implies that, because you made the point of saying, if it was for revenge, why not reveal himself? But he kind of like, he does that whole stupid thing where Leo's like, I don't know who would kill me. And he's like, didn't you fire someone recently? Mm Mm-hmm. This guy's all over the map. He's also fucked up on... I mean, the thing Yeah, where, but you missed the one clue that could have blown this case wide open. What's that? He was actually a pecker inspector from the Department of Erections. I just... Leo's gonna die of a heart attack, and he's like, no, I don't care. I have to throw up. Ah, oh, gross. Throw up. Go do it somewhere else. And then I assume, from what you told me, that he stops paying attention to Sue. Because he's going flashing lights, talking to his wife at the door. And meantime, Sue's just, like, strolling around the fucking house. Well, no, not, not, not around the house. She's just going back and forth between the bedroom and the bathroom. Here's another thing that I haven't mentioned that was in a bunch of stuff that I read. So remember how Stu was uh, making a chicken? I'm sorry, Sue. <laughs> I was going to ask if she burnt so the chicken. So Sue was making a chicken. She says... 
The chicken's going to burn. The alarm's going to go off. Let me go downstairs and get it out of the oven. He says, no, 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 no. I'll take care of it. And did. He doesn't have the wherewithal to keep his story straight, but he goes downstairs and makes sure that the chicken doesn't burn. I'm trying to decide who I think was more the mastermind here. Because there's a certain angle that feels like it's, and this is really tacky, Bane and Uma Thurman in that really bad Batman movie. Like, he's the foot soldier, and she's slapping extra patches of fentanyl on him so he can get through this oh, event. God. But it feels... So, mo- there, there is a theory that he didn't know that he had a second patch on. Fuck. That she put a second patch on him and then put him in the diaper and didn't tell him that that second patch went on. But then there's the event at the office where he already seems unstable. And she's so not even fired the yet. Thing. That's what like kind of makes me a little bit crazy about this whole thing. Because in any other case, I would totally agree with you. But I read some of these text exchanges. Between the two of them? And this thing in the office where he seems to have the wherewithal to force her to let him come in yeah. and talk to her boss. Yeah. And I can't imagine that if I were the like... The mastermind. Master, yeah, exactly. That I would let my husband come in and do that. Yeah. Because it seems to serve no purpose because she tries to save the job. Yeah. It honestly just feels like more of column A and column B. Two unstable people enabling each other who then were put into a really bad situation from his injury. It's probably it's probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Fuck, man. The India Jones hat. The penis badge. So much about the this. The chicken. You didn't tell me about the chicken the first time around yeah. when we recorded this. Yeah. He takes the chicken out of the he oven? He takes the chicken out of the oven. Fuck me, man. I mean, they're alone in that house for three hours. Wait, it's three hours? Yeah. He gets there at 6.15 and they don't take uh, Alicia and Andrew off the road until 9.45. And then, like, I just... She comes to the door and he's like, I can't figure out the computer system. We can't get the files we need. Shit. Well, I guess we'll, we'll extort them for I money. I guess we'll just murder them. But well, first he tries to make the play for cash. It's once Leo goes, I can go to an ATM, where it's almost like he's like, well, fuck it. This night's complete wash. I didn't get Let's any- Let's just go home and turn on Netflix. I didn't get any of the juicy espionage, corporate espionage I needed. There's no cash. The Knights Templar are going to kick my butt. I don't know. I I just, I don't know what he was thinking. And like the saddest part of all of this. Well, based on the state he's in when the cops pick him up, he's clearly not thinking. No, not at all. But like whether he thought about it or not, whether he was in charge or not, none of this changes what happened to Leo and Sue. Sue experiences concussion-like symptoms in the aftermath. She still has ringing in her ears. Her back aches all the time from the scars and stab wounds, which formed keloids. Leo has trouble chewing and swallowing food because when Andrew cut his throat, it severed the nerves on one side of his face. Oh, fuck. He can't, he, he has it, he has difficulty controlling his tongue, and when he gets tired, he slurs his words. That is a permanent injury that has affected his livelihood and his ability to speak as a lawyer. Additionally, there are the mental side effects that being a victim of violence causes. 
Leo always considered himself a calm and open-hearted person, but he told the court that he feels rage and it's hard to suppress it. It's hard to watch his wife suffer. Sue, after all, is the one who basically saved them both. Yeah. Uh, they basically, they, they would have died if she hadn't triggered the alarm and then dragged her body across their home to get to a phone. Leo told them that she isn't interested in socializing anymore. She has nightmares and wakes up thinking that people are trying to come into the house to kill her in the middle of the night. Sue couldn't even testify at the trial. She would evidently sit in the courthouse but not go into the courtroom. At the trial, Leo Fisher described the feeling as, I just want to eject myself from where I am and scream at the top of my voice. I've never been a person who hated before, but I hate now. And that is heartbreaking. I The Muffy he's killing me is going to stick with me for a while. I just... Sometimes I... Sometimes I think it's really easy to fall into a place where you focus on the people who commit crimes because I think that it's easier to focus on the weirdos who wear pecker inspector badges and Indiana Jones hats than it is to think about the real human cost of violence and the fallout that that kind of violence has in people's lives. Yeah. And these two people were were good people. This was a guy who mentored younger attorneys. This was a woman who this was, was a guy who kept bleeding giving. out on the floor and could only think that her cats were gonna die. This is a guy in Leo who gave this woman chance after chance. And that's what drives me crazy. How dare you? You got like, all the chances in the world, and then me, when you left, he said you're gonna be a great attorney. For me. The day that he shows up in the office with her, that's the that's the last straw. Mm-hmm. That's that's the kind of instability I don't want around in my life. Yeah, not at all. Like, I just, God, man. Did Twist and Shout make it? Did they not get out of the house? Did we confirm that? I I believe so. I I wasn't able to find any direct sources on the fates. And I'm gonna say they Shout. definitely survived, just to make myself feel better. I I have to. I have to cling to that hope. That they were smart enough cats. Well, there was an unattended to chicken in the kitchen, so <laughs> they, if were, they were smart cats. They were probably chowing down on chicken. Um, so to kind of just tie this up in a nice little bow, Andrew Schmuel was found guilty on all counts. The ju- oh, I just hit my screen. You're pulling Sorry, on Michael Costa yeah. over there, bumping the screen. Andrew Schmuel is found guilty on all counts. The jury ultimately handed down a sentence of two life terms in prison. Plus 98 years. So unless the case is reversed in appeals, which it it could be, this was only handed down last year, Andrew will be in prison for the rest of his life. Did his wife ever talk? Nope. Wait, what? So the one person who could have shed a little bit of light on all of this, Alicia Schmuel, took a plea deal. Oh, fuck me. Alicia Schmuel pled guilty to all five charges against her, and in January of this year, 2017, she was sentenced to 45 years in prison for her roles in the attack. Most likely, she'll be in prison for the rest of her life as well. But 
She never spoke up for herself. She never explained what they were thinking or their roles, how this was planned. She didn't testify for herself and she didn't testify against her husband. And that's the end of that. That's all we know. So from what I know, fentanyl is a recent opioid. Um, so it was developed in 1960, but it really, I think that it was difficult to control, um, dosages. Uh So it was mostly used during surgery and during, um, like rehab after surgery. Whereas ever since the introduction of like these patches and lollipops, it's been easier and easier. For like pain management. Yeah. So it's been it's it's just it's been in the news a lot recently for abuse and stuff like that. It's gained a lot of popularity recently, and I know also that uh, it's easier to access it in Europe for some reason. And so there have been a lot of problems for like the postal service where people will try to mail fentanyl from Europe or order it from Europe over here without a prescription. Um, which means that it ends up on the street. Yeah. Uh, I, I was doing a little bit of reading where it can be cooked down into a powder. And like, if you're, if you're real hardcore, you can freebase inject or snort it. No, no. That sounds insane to me. <laughs> I just wonder if like, uh, and the, from what I know of the VA, probably not. If there was any like, huh, maybe we really dropped the ball on this one, guys. Maybe increasing his dosage over and over again wasn't the right move because from something else we kind of touched on and something I know about these kind of opioids, a lot of the other drugs you listed weren't to treat symptoms from his injury. They were to treat side effects of the opioids, like the blood pressure Uh, medications. Some of it it was uh, just more supplementary pain management, but a lot of it, yeah, you're right. So like – uh, blood pressure medication. Um, there was another one. There was another one, but he was also like on an antidepressant. He also took like laxatives well, and what's happening to his life seems pretty depressing after that injury. <sighs> God, yeah. So something also that I didn't go into is that Andrew had been married before. He'd been married to a different woman during law school who he divorces and um, then marries Alicia and owes her alimony. And so a lot of the financial pressure that they were feeling was based off of these alimony payments. He had recently found out that he was basically in the hole like 20 grand in alimony. Um, Is that also, for some reason, that part of the story paints Alicia in a bad picture again? It almost feels like, I don't know what the dates are or how this all lines up, but from what you said at the beginning, they meet in law school and he starts law school married to someone else. Yeah. Excuse me, it's not Alicia's problem if he decides he wants to leave his wife. Like, well, no, of course not. Like, happy men don't get divorced. Like, happy marriages don't end in divorce. And Alicia is consistently painted by friends and family as someone who is feisty, outgoing, and fun, whereas Andrew is kind of painted as, like, a wild card, more of a loner, more reclusive. But again, that might just be a side effect of being someone who was married in law school when everyone else is single and, like, dating and trying to find themselves. Let's, let's, Let's move back to the people who matter. Twist and shout. And Sue and Leo. There you go. Because that woman's a fucking... Oh my god, she is a hero. The playing dead bits were like, 
She's trying I, to get the phone, and then he's stabbing her, and she goes, okay, just go still. And then he gets off, and then she goes for the phone again. I don't know what it is. I kept thinking to myself, Sue, Sue, just lie down. <laughs> just stay down, Sue. But I, I understand, because who's who's to say that if she goes down, he doesn't go back to her husband? Yeah. And that's, again, why she is a legit hero and an American treasure, and there should be a goddamn monument to Sue Duncan. This woman is adorable. She's this adorable, small woman in her 60s with these little glasses. She's she's described that night as like wearing like a turtleneck tunic. And there's something about the paint, like the picture painted of her that I love. She just seems like the cutest woman and she has the cutest husband and the cutest cats. And she pulls this insane amount of bravery and skill. Damn in the face of That's why my favorite part horror. is she calls 911. She just gets out the important information and just I imagine her like just collapsing on the floor up against the desk. Like she's spent. There is nothing left in the tank. How could there be? Oh my god, and the I love you from the other room on the 911 <sighs> call. Stop because I like <sighs> read that and started just it would, the floodgates were open and I was crying and all I could think was like, why isn't there a Shakespearean play called Sue and Leo? Fuck Romeo and Juliet. Those two were 13. They don't know what love is. It's so whiny. like oh. You don't know what love is till you've fought off an attacker. Well, have your throat slit. On you're on the floor and you're yelling to your wife that you love her as she calls the cops to save your lives. That's love. It's making me more and more angry thinking about how Lisa wouldn't say anything. It's one it's one of I think one of the most confounding parts of this entire story. It, and it it's makes something it that drives you to buy into Andrew's defense team's position. The fact that she, she won't speak anything? up for herself, for me, like, that makes it the unknown. And so it makes me think, well, then maybe there, maybe it is more. Because for me, it's not like black or white. It's not one or the other. It's more like it's either a 50-50 split or it's like 60-40. Like, you had this unstable, depressed, fucked up guy who was somewhat being manipulated by his also crazy wife. Or you have this crazy, controlling, fucked up guy who is desperate for money, cannot afford to have his wife lose her job because he can't lose his. Because I was thinking about this when you were telling me this. He can't have a job. He can't leave the house, but he can attack these people. And then I was like, oh, but when you're so fucked up like he was to be able to pull this off, you can't do a job that fucked up of any kind. You can wait tables. You can always wait tables. I knew several people who were more fucked up than him who waited tables like it was their job because it was because they needed to pay for a drug habit. Waiting tables is a weird thing. I think everyone should have to do it in this country. I think it should be like forced conscription. Guys, if you have never waited tables in your life, just take a part-time job waiting tables. You don't know what real humiliation and being spit on is like until you've waited tables. It's not great. It's really not great. It's probably not ruined, though. It is ruined. Do you have any final thoughts on this one? uh, I don't have any final thoughts on this case other than 
I hope Leo and Sue can have joy in the remaining years they of their seem lives. to still be alive leo is still listed on the bean kinney website they they really don't like talking to the press and i'm not surprised but for god's sake i hope that they are living and loving and i hope that they still love each other as much as they did that day it's yeah i love these stories that we get to tell when people survive because more than anything I think that when we talk about crime, we don't focus enough on the victims and think about them as three-dimensional people who who have lives and histories and and rich internal viewpoints. It's really fun to talk about the monsters. It's really fun to talk about the people who are balls to the wall nuts. Like Indiana Jones hats and penis badges. But it's important to talk about the victims, too. Yeah, absolutely. And especially in this case where I think a difference here between the... Again, I'm trying to have a hard time remembering how many minisodes we've done, but the two that come to mind, the back page, Killer and uh, Dante Stokes, aside from the psychological trauma, those two individuals walk away from those experiences physically unharmed, in the end. But probably mentally pretty scarred. But for Sue and Leo, Leo, it's not just the emotional damage that's been no, done. No, there's a lot of physical damage, too. And that's really tragic and sad. And, it is. And I could try to focus on the penis badge to uplift things. I can, sitting over here, try to cast the movie in my head. Who would you cast? Okay, who would you cast as Andrew? Who would you cast as Sue? So those are kind of okay. like the polar opposites. So of this. we just—if anyone's seen the new FX show Feud, oh my god, we so were we just good. watched Watch an episode Feud. of that. Um, and so I thought, if I'm going to cast this film, I want the relationship between Sue and um, Leo to be as believable on screen as possible. So I wanted an older Hollywood couple who've been together forever. I know this doesn't fit the way they are described in real life, but we're using Hollywood magic to embellish what they look like and act. Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. No. Oh, my God. No. They've been together forever. You're so wrong. I think it would work. And then Uh, I'd get Channing Tatum for Andrew and... Oh, my God. This movie's terrible. This movie's terrible. I don't know who the the, the other girl. No, 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 no. You go with a true American badass by the name of Kathy Bates for Sue, who looks phenomenal, by the way, everyone. You go with Kathy Bates for Sue, and you go with someone who everyone's really in love with right now who's, like, like overrated and yet underrated for Andrew. Um, I, this is a real wild card, Chris Pratt. Yeah, that'd be a good one, too. For me, in, insert hunky white guy here to play a messed up, disturbed, injured ex-soldier guy. I just want Chris Pratt to be able to gain some weight again. I feel bad. I follow him on Instagram. He's always bitching about his snacks. <laughs> so, but, like, you cast Kathy Pitts? Who's Leo? I, for me, the Leo and Sue relationship is what's going to drive this picture at the box office. It's like Kathy Bates and Stanley Tucci. Oh, my God. First of all, the age That's difference there is like 30 years. Okay. 
who do you think is older in are you kidding me yeah, right it's now it's not 30 years but it's probably a good 10 I'm years I'm gonna send your ass to the dermatologist to get Botox you watch it's gonna be a good 10 years I think alright here's to Sue and Leo and to the world guys don't forget to rate review and subscribe please rate review and subscribe to us I'm it's, on Facebook show us some love it's not good but it's not ruined this has been Detective Society Bye, 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 bye.